Now we've been looking at a, a series called I Am. Pastor John began this series and it's just been a wonderful way to look and to focus our eyes on Jesus. And in the midst of this season, in, in such a unique time, and more than ever we need to focus our eyes back on him. I'd like to share a story with you. When I was, um, when I was young, I used to love spearfishing and I was introduced to the sport through a, a, a close friend. And we used to go, uh, especially in summer, especially in Victoria, we would go out and we'd enjoy going into the water and we'd, we'd go hunting for fish. And uh, many times I would go on family holidays and they would often go to the beach and we would spend our weeks just in the water uh, spearfishing and, and enjoying this sport. And on one particular journey... Uh, we went to this unique spot which had a unique entry. It took a bit of confidence but you needed to grab all your gear and, and jump into the water about two or three metres high. Quite literally a small little cliff jump into the water um, and the only way back to the shore was to swim around uh, the head of that, uh, of, the, of that part of the beach. And so it t- took a bit of guts to, to do so and uh, my friend jumped in first and so I, I quickly followed and very, very quickly we noticed something was not right. We, we got in the water and we could not see anything. The water was so murky that you couldn't literally see the fingers on the, the end of your hand in the water. And what we didn't know, which we discerned and discovered later on, was that there was some dredging going on further out uh, you know, beyond the shoreline and it had dredged up, of course, a lot of silt and sand in the water, beyond what is normal. And so we, we couldn't see anything. And so I, I personally was in waters I had never been in before. I could hardly see the end of my hand, let alone see my friend. Uh, the only way I could see him was if literally side by side or if I poked my head up and I could see his snorkel or his little flippers on the surface of the water. We realised that this wasn't going to work and so we decided, okay, we guess we have to just do this long swim uh, back to the shore. And although I love the water, I must say, I do not like being in the water when you can't see anything. Uh, always, you're always aware in sort of the back of your mind, in the back of your consciousness, that, that sharks especially, they don't mind murky water. They can hunt in any type of water. And so when you're swimming, knowing that these sharks are also out there and not being able to see anything, it's quite disconcerting. I, I was not enjoying that moment. And it was quite a swim, a good half an hour, you know, to get back. And as we, were, as we were swimming, the one thing that kept me at ease, the one thing that kept me calm was the fact that I knew I was with my friend who knew these waters. This place was no surprise to him. And even though I couldn't see, even though he couldn't see, he knew where he was going. And so for me, the only thing that kept me calm was the fact that I was not alone, I was with him. Now, it didn't change the situation. Still murky, we still needed to swim, but the fact that I was with him was enough to calm me and to keep me calm. And this is true in, in, in our human nature that the people around us, the people that we love, have a calming effect on us. That when we're going through tough situations, it's good to be in good company with people who can encourage us. And what's true in, I guess, this human part of who we are is also true in the spirit, in a spiritual sense, in, a, in our spiritual sense. Now, as we find ourselves in a very unique time in history, with the current state of disaster all across the world that reminds us that we just live in an unsecure world, 
There are no certainties. At the moment we are reminded every day that there are no guarantees and most days we do our best just to get by. In the midst of this situation, we can know this, that Jesus is with us. It may not make the situation go away, but it can give us the peace and the strength to carry on. It gives us the confidence that we need, that even in the midst of this season we can go on because he is with us. We are with him. And if we keep our eyes focused on on him, we can find calm and find peace in this storm. Now, it doesn't remove the situation, it doesn't pluck us out of the difficult season, but we are not alone. We are reminded that he knows the situation. This situation does not surprise him. And we can walk with him if we so choose to reach out to his invitation to follow him. And so this series, these these statements that, that Jesus shares, these remind us again of who he is. They focus our gaze again on him. With so much turmoil in our world, with so much uncertainty and change, we need to focus our eyes on him. By doing so, we find strength, we find peace in his very real presence. So we began this series looking at a couple of themes already. Firstly, Pastor John opened up the first two of the I Ams, the first being the bread of life, this claim that Jesus made. Also, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Today, we are going to focus on the claim that Jesus made where he states, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Now, I need to admit that originally was going to look at these separately. But the more I even looked at these, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't separate them. They're so intertwined and so closely connected that we're going to look at them together. I'd like to read our passage for this morning. It comes from John 10, from verse 1. We're going to read to verse 21. It's titled, The Good Shepherd and His Sheep. We read from John, from chapter 10, verse 1. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. 
A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man such as this? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? What a wonderful passage. And I admit I... I find it a privilege to to sit and to study scripture and to be able to present it in this fashion. And one thing I find time and time again is the deeper you go, the deeper the passage goes. There's so much depth and, and there are so many angles and perspectives in all of God's word and today I hope just to present a couple to you that I hope will inspire you and encourage you in your walk with Jesus today. And in the midst of this story, it's interesting to know the context. Context makes a very big difference. And in the midst of this story, Jesus has just healed a man of blindness. If you come back to chapter 9, you will find that Jesus has healed a man of blindness and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, are actually arguing. They're actually saying this couldn't be Jesus who did such a thing. But but the blind man's friends are saying, well, we knew he was blind and now he's not. (laughs) We can't say much else but that. But the spiritual leaders are are, are really just coming and and they're they're confronting Jesus. They're, They're not accepting who he is. They don't believe that he is who he claims to be. And there's this ongoing confrontation that Jesus has with these people. So this illustration is on the tail end of one of these confrontations. And it's a warning. It's a warning to the people that the Pharisees, who were not accepting the work of God, were not also accepting Jesus and that they should be avoided. Jesus also uses this illustration to further identify himself to those who would listen. Unlike the religious leaders who wouldn't listen or accept him at all. But in the midst of all of this, I want you to remember one thing. As all the passages are doing, as we're looking at all of the I Am uh, themes, all of these are primarily about Jesus. They're about bringing out a new understanding about who he is and who he claimed to be. There is a reality in this as we read it too, that there's a part that reveals something about us. I won't stay here for long, but we can't help but notice that it does reveal something in regards to our own personal nature. 
And Jesus is simply stating a fact. He doesn't argue it in any way. He simply states it, that we are like sheep. <laughs> I'm not sure what that does to you, if that makes you go, yes, yeah, yeah, I'm like a sheep. I mean, no, it's sheep? No, generally most of us will hear that and go, sheep, that's the last animal I would choose to be. I mean, my boys love to dress up as animals. They've never chosen a sheep. It's not an inspiring animal, to say the least. So many, for many of us, that might be enough for you to stop and say, I'm not listening any further. There's a, almost an arrogance or a pride that bubbles to the surface that says, we are not like sheep. I am not like a sheep. But in reality, if we're to go any further, we need to admit, we need to own that we are like sheep. We're easily led astray. We're susceptible. We're defenceless. If anything, this current season situation we find ourselves in is a reminder of this exactly. And above all, what it shows is that we are in need of a shepherd. We can't do this alone. And this is where this passage focuses. The main point is what it reveals about Jesus. And Jesus declares three things. He makes three I am statements in the midst of this passage. The first is I am the gate. And then twice he says I am the good shepherd. But connected to that, each one of them has a unique perspective in regards to what it means to be a good shepherd. And it's these that I would like to unpack this morning. So Jesus shares this story. And I love if you, if you look closely, you'll notice that Jesus starts the illustration and he finishes the story. Imagine Jesus sharing this to a crowd of people all sitting there listening attentively and he finishes the story and as he finishes they all look to each other and they simply say, I have no idea what he was just going on about. They're confused. However, they're brave enough to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, we really don't know what you mean. And we find this often in the parables that Jesus tells. Jesus tells a parable and and those who are hungry, those who want to know more, come to him and say, Jesus, tell me more. We really don't understand what you mean. And in this place he goes on and he explains the truths that are found in the parable or the story that he shares. And that's what makes this passage quite interesting. Because it's a do-it-yourself sermon. Jesus, in reality, is preaching a sermon to us. He's, he's sharing and unpacking with what I must add is a good Baptist three-point sermon. There's three good points, three declarations about who he is. And so today we're going to unpack those. Jesus, even in the midst of this, he uses his own illustrations to unpack this. And so today we're going to simply unpack and focus on the very words of Jesus. And so his first statement we see there is, I am the gate, verse 7. I tell you the truth, I am the gate. For the sheep and all who came before me were thieves and robbers. Yes, I am the gate and those who come in through me will be saved. This is the first claim that Jesus makes about himself. I am the gate and that those who come through me will be saved is what Jesus shares. Now, to understand this more fully, we need to understand the context of the day. We need to understand the way the hearers were hearing the the story that Jesus was telling. 
I guess a good example in our current day is it depends where you go in the world and if you use the, the term football, you know, it means a round ball you kick on the floor that you can headbutt in some countries and, and well here it means a whole different thing, doesn't it? We're right in the, the mania of the end of the AFL season. It's a very different shaped ball here in Australia. So in the same way, the language that is being used here is important to understand. Jesus is sharing uh, an illustration in regards to sheep being held in, in a sheep pen of sorts. And there were two ways that sheep were, were held. Firstly, in the city. Sheep were often held in large holding corrals where shepherds would bring their sheep and it was a, it was a public pen. They would come and there would be almost like a guard or, or a person on the gate, the entry to that pen, and the, the shepherd would come and hand over their sheep. And the sheep would be mingled with many others. But the gatekeeper would stand there and he would know the, the shepherd, of course, and they would be released into his care. The shepherd could go have a rest and then come back the next morning, come back to the gatekeeper who would then release the sheep for them. And I love the image there that think about the sheep mingled with, with all of the other herds, you know, all, all the other sheep there too, and all the shepherd does is call their voice and they, they follow him because they know his voice. Isn't that a beautiful image? And so on the one hand you have this image of a, a pen in the city where there's a, a gatekeeper, as you could say. And you can see that in verses 1 to 6 quite clearly. You can see that Jesus comes to the, the gatekeeper there. It talks about the shepherd who comes to the gatekeeper. And that gatekeeper opening the gate so the shepherd can then take their sheep away. This is what we see here in verses 1 to 6. But Jesus also leans into, I guess, another understanding of how sheep were held. For in the country, this was not the case. In the country, shepherds would build, you know, they'd build out of stones, often sticks. They would build a protective hedge or a small wall with a small entry. And this particular type of setup wouldn't have a gatekeeper as such because it would be out in the field, it would be out... Just long, long and and far away from any city. And the shepherd would bring their sheep in, they would bring them into the small gate and then the gate itself would be closed by the very shepherd. The shepherd would sit in that entrance and would sleep there so that a sheep could not come or go without passing through or over the shepherd and any danger that would come, could only get to the sheep through the shepherd. And you can see, as you open this passage up, you can see how Jesus is leaning to both of these illustrations. Now these would be understood by the people who were hearing this story. As we can see this this leaning as Jesus calls himself the gate, he's referring to the shepherd who sits in the gap to protect and to care for his flock. Jesus says in verse 9, I am that gate. Those who come through me will be saved. And then Jesus contrasts himself to those who had come before. He mentions the thieves and the robbers whose purpose was to steal, to kill and to destroy. 
Jesus is making it quite clear that the the religious leaders of the day and that many who had come before him had come with evil motives, were leading them astray. And the Pharisees who were hearing this message would have known what he was insinuating and what he was implying. For if you read in later passages, this starts to stir them and they start to become very angry with Jesus. Jesus is contrasting himself to those who would deceive and to lead the sheep astray. And he's saying, no, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, as Jesus will say later in John 14. Jesus claims to be the way, the only entrance to be saved. I love in verse 9, because Jesus claims that I am the one through me, People, you may be saved, but he unpacks this idea of what being saved means. Verse 9, Jesus says, They will come and go freely and find good pasture. What a beautiful image. To be saved in Jesus Christ is to, to find freedom in him. To come and to go freely is it this picture of freedom, this picture of peace and of calm. They will come and find good pastures, says Jesus. What a wonderful promise as we place our faith in our shepherd. There's the promise that we will be provided for. We will be safe, secure, satisfied. Jesus is claiming to be our protector and our provider. If we place our trust in him. Now as Jesus is talking and sharing this story, He is referencing one of the most famous and beloved Psalms and I would say even to this day. In Psalm, you can guess it, 23. I had it there, it's not working, forgive me. Open in your Bibles if you've got them. Go to Psalm 23. Actually, I believe it's at the end. Nope. Go to Psalm 23 for me. I had it there for you. It just hasn't linked. My apologies. But you could probably say it by heart. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honour to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honour me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. These beautiful words, what a beautiful picture and image of what Jesus provides for all who would follow him. In verse 10, Jesus declares again, in case we haven't got the message, my purpose is to give rich and satisfying life. So if you place your faith in Jesus, know this, that he brings life and life to its fullest, as some translations will say. And if you haven't placed your faith in him, In the Good Shepherd, I urge you, I encourage you, I invite you to place your faith in him who brings life like you will never and can never understand without him. Jesus is doing something else here also. 
as much as we read this and we're encouraged by it, they're wonderful, beautiful words. Jesus is also making a declaration. Remember these passages are identifying, they're revealing something about who Jesus is and as Jesus starts to share this story about a shepherd and about being the sheep and about being the good shepherd, all of those listening would be thinking and be reminded of Psalm 23 which was written a thousand odd years before Jesus Christ. And who is the shepherd in the psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. So as Jesus declared these words to this crowd that I am the good shepherd, Jesus was declaring to the audience, to the crowd and to the world that I am the Lord. I am the Lord God. And this infuriated the religious leaders. And you will see later, you might like to look later in your own reading at home if you go from verse 22. You see, people started coming and saying to him, what are you saying? Are you claiming to be the Son of God? That's their question. They understood what Jesus was saying as he said, I am the good shepherd. He was not only saying, I am here to care for you and to protect you, which he is. He is saying far more. He is saying, I am the Lord God. The Lord comes to give life and life to the full. Jesus said, I am the gate. He also said this. The second of the statements he declares is, I am the good shepherd. Not only just the shepherd, but the good shepherd. And in the first case, you'll notice as he shares this phrase twice, in verse 11 and verse 14. In verse 11, it comes with this unique perspective and angle to the phrase. I am the good shepherd and I sacrifice my life for my sheep. I sacrifice my life for my sheep, says Jesus. And he uses another illustration, another contrast of a hired hand versus the shepherd. And it's again an interesting illustration. There's a picture of the hired hand. So, shepherd wants to take long service leave. Okay, I'm, I'm just embellishing this a little. He needs some time off and so he hires another person, another shepherd let's say, to come and to care for his sheep. And the hired hand comes to, to do the job let's say. And in this illustration a wolf comes and what do we see? We see the hired hand say, "This I don't get paid enough for this and runs, runs for the hills. When danger comes, they run away. They abandon the sheep because they don't belong to them, we read. He isn't their true shepherd. He runs away because he's only working for money. He's not invested. The motive is not really to care for the sheep, it's for the paycheck. He doesn't really care. Jesus is stating this, that he does. These are his sheep. He cares for them. He is their shepherd. He's fully invested. He will even give his life to defend them. It reminds me again, if we go back to David. David, before he wrote Psalm 23, in his early years, was a, was a shepherd. He would care for sheep. And I wonder why he is the one that wrote Psalm 23. He understood sheep. He himself was a shepherd and and cared for them. 
And it's interesting when, when David, if you know the story of David and Goliath, most people do. It's quite a popular tale. David, the, the small one, comes to King Saul and asks to go and fight Goliath. I will go and fight him, says David. And Saul replies to him, you were not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You were only a young man. You are, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David says these words, he says, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. I share this to show the danger that shepherds put themselves in by caring for the sheep. They were often out in the wilderness, spending the night out in the wilderness, like I said, being the gate, the protector, standing between the flock and whatever harm would come their way. We often have this really romantic image of a shepherd, don't we? Holding a beautiful little sheep. But we see and read this and, well, a shepherd was a warrior. They would chase after lions and bears and kill them to defend their own. And Jesus used this illustration of being a shepherd and one who would even sacrifice and give his own life for the sheep. I was thinking about this picture and started thinking about football actually. The good old AFL is it's on our minds at the moment. And um, someone says, is it? For most people, it is. But a skill in football that, is often, that often goes unnoticed is the skill of shepherding. You know, I'd never thought about this until this point. I'd always understood what shepherding is, playing football as a, when I was younger. And then shepherding in, in football, and it's even found in the AFL skills guide, Number 15, if you want to look it up. Shepherding is when one player places himself between the, the, his teammate with the ball and an opponent who might be getting too close. And so a player really sacrifices, gives himself up and places himself in the firing line to protect his, his, his uh, teammate. Now, I never thought about this until now. Why was it called shepherding? I mean, shepherding, it's the, it's the furthest sort of language you could conjure up with a sport. Now I see where it comes from. For a shepherd places himself between his sheep and harm's way. Places himself on the line to protect those that he cares for. Jesus came to give his life on the cross for you and for me. Jesus would come and sacrifice himself so that you and I can have life and life to the fullest. Jesus clarifies a little later on, verse sort of 17, 18, he says, But know this, I give it willingly. It doesn't happen by accident. I come knowing this is going to occur. Remember, Jesus shares this story before he's killed. I come to give my life willingly, he says. And I can give it and I can take it up again. Will not defeat me, says Jesus, again declaring who he is. 
No one can take my life, says Jesus. I give it voluntarily. I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Here's Jesus declaring his love for his sheep, his care for them, and his willingness to give himself for them. And then he continues out of, in the last statement, oh there's Psalm 23. I knew it was in there. The last of the statements was, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. However, the unique aspect this time is, I know my sheep and they know me. And out of all of the I am statements, I went and had a look. I'm the, the bread of life, the light of the world and so on. The way, the truth and the life. Out of all of them, The image of the shepherd is the most personal. It's the most relational. I know my sheep and they know me. You see, in the Middle Eastern culture, a shepherd was very close to their sheep. And this is quite different to our own culture here in Australia. The Middle Eastern versus the Aussie sheep herding culture could be more miles apart. In Australian culture, we don't think of a shepherd as having a close bond with their sheep. If anything, we're going to think of mateship, we would actually think of the, the drover and the kelpie. You know, often the, the work dog. That, that's often, that's often idolised, the wonderful bond and relationship between you know, the farmer, the drover and, and his work dog. But the sheep? They're just—they're running around with the dog at their heels. It's, it's, there's no real relational image here. However, in the Middle East, flocks were often small. Shepherds would not use dogs to round up their sheep. They would form an intimate relationship with them, so much that as we read, as the shepherd walks at the front of the flock, the flock follow him. They're not chased. They're not forced into submission. They're loved and they're cared for to the point that when the shepherd moves and calls, they go because that is where safety and protection lies. There was a close and an intimate bond between the shepherd and his sheep. And the shepherd knew them by name. They developed a a bond with their animals. This is the image that Jesus is using. Even the original language that I know my sheep, this word know, is an idea to know experientially. It's used in Jewish language actually for physical intimacy. So the most intimate language you can possibly imagine is this word that's being used here. It's not book knowledge, it's experiential knowledge. It's used for relationships. It's used for friendships. It's used for husband and wife. It's it's used for the most relational and intimate of, 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 of relationships. So Jesus says, I know my sheep. I know them well and they know me. Then Jesus uses an illustration. And often we read this and we skim over this. But if you pause and think about what he is saying, this might even keep you up at night in awe and with wonder. Jesus says and that I 
know these sheep as much as I know and the Father knows me. Jesus uses the Godhead relationship as an illustration for the way he knows his sheep and they know him. Our God in Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, bound by relationship. This is the very relationship Jesus uses as an example to say how well he knows us and how he invites us to know him. Come, he says, know me as much as I know the Father in heaven. He invites us to such a close relationship, the closest of any relationship that could possibly have. For there can be no closer relationship than the very nature of God. Jesus invites us. As he declares who he is, he invites us into this relationship with himself. Reciprocal relationship, not one way, two ways. He knows us and he invites us to know him. A personal, deep relationship. And so as we come to the end of these words, I can't help but ask, do you know him? Jesus loves you. He calls you. He invites you to come and to follow him. He declares, I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the one who can save you. I am the one that can bring you protection, security, safety, And life. (laughs) Do you know him? Jesus mentions other sheep. He mentions other sheep who were not listening when Jesus told this story. He mentions those who are still yet to come. I ask and I wonder, is that you here today? As you hear these words, is this an invitation to you? Jesus is calling you and he's inviting you to come and to be a part of his flock, to follow him, the good shepherd. And so do you know him? If you haven't placed your faith in him, I pray that today you will. I pray that you may reach out and accept Jesus Christ for who he is, the very son of God. You may accept him as your shepherd who would care and watch out for you. Place your faith in him here today, I pray. You know, at the very end of this passage, the people debated. Some people said, oh, this Jesus is crazy. He must be a demon. And then others said, no. This man who would even help blind men see, must be who he says he is. He must be the Son of God. Will you accept his words today? Will you be the ones who declare him for who he is? Will you accept Jesus as your shepherd? Let me pray. Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus Christ, your son who would come, who would save us, who would guide us, who would protect us, 
So we just want to say thank you, first of all, for all of those listening right now who follow Jesus Christ as their own personal Lord and Saviour. We all come and we just say thank you. We thank you that you are the gate. We thank you that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you love us and that we can find safety, security, protection in you. We thank you and we give you praise. Lord, I pray for each person listening right now that they will have an extra measure of your peace and will know an extra measure of your presence right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that people will be aware that you are with them in the midst of this situation, wherever people may find themselves, Father, if they're struggling. Lord, I pray that you may come and encourage them and lift them up. Lord, if people are celebrating, I may that they will know your presence as you come and celebrate with them. May they know that you are there. And Lord, for those listening who have not accepted you, but in this time and in this place, feel your Holy Spirit calling them to accept Jesus Christ for who he is, the very Son of God, the Good Shepherd. I pray that they will now just say this simple prayer in the depths of their heart. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are this good shepherd and I place my faith in you. Thank you for the life that you will give. Thank you for your forgiveness and for your grace. Thank you that I can walk with you and know you to the end of time and beyond. Father, as they have said these words, again I just pray for your Holy Spirit to come around. Enfold them, I pray, with your precious arms. Holy Spirit, fill them. May they go today from this point knowing that they are yours. May we all go knowing that we are held safe in your arms. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all say, Amen. Amen.